Warning. The stories in this episode may trigger you and result in flashbacks if you yourself have experienced any form of abuse in the past but have no clear memory of it as the trauma was too painful and your subconscious may have suppressed it. Welcome to Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a transformational life coach, comedian and mother of two. And you can join me weekly to hear some intimate self-reflections and conversations with inspirational friends and guests from all around the world, sharing what they needed to break free from in order to live a life of purpose. Today's episode of Breaking Free is about a very sensitive topic, but one which has affected many of us, sadly. Sexual violence and abuse. Sexual violence affects women, men and children throughout their lives and can be devastating for individuals, families and communities. There's a confusion between the term harassment and abuse, rape or violence, which I'd like to clarify first. I think we use harassment for many serious acts that actually fall under abuse. Sexual harassment is when a person experiences unwelcome sexual advances or requests for sexual favours, or experiences unwelcomed verbal or physical conduct of a sexual nature. Now, according to the National Sexual Violence Resource Centre fact sheet, sexual abuse or violence or assault is when someone forces, manipulates, coerces, intimidate someone else into unwanted sexual activity without their consent. There are many reasons someone might not consent, which include fear, age, illness, disability, and or influence of alcohol or other drugs. Anyone can experience sexual violence, including children, teens, adults, and the elderly. Those who sexually abuse can be acquaintances, family members, trusted individuals or strangers. The different forms of sexual violence are rape or sexual assault, child sexual assault and incest, intimate partner sexual assault, unwanted sexual contact and touching, masturbating in public, watching someone in private without their consent, Sexual exploitation and harassment. Showing one's genitals without consent, for instance flashing. Child sexual abuse, in particular, is sexual activity with a minor and does not need to include physical contact. According to statistics in the US in 1990, one in four girls will be sexually assaulted by age 18 and one in six boys. At some time in their lives, one in six women have experienced rape or attempted rape. More than half occurred before the age of 18 and 22% before the age of 12. For men, it is less. It's one in 33 who have experienced rape or attempted rape. However, 75% had it occur before they were 18 and 48% before the age of 12. Child victims knew the offender before the attack 90% of the time, according to research by Greenfield in 1996. Victims, survivors, are never to blame or at fault. It doesn't matter what someone is wearing or how they're acting. No one asks or wants to be raped, and neither do all of us lose control and want to hurt someone sexually because of their behaviour or what they're dressed like, do we? 
Rape is the least reported and convicted violent crime in the US. So you can imagine how little it's reported in countries that have less freedom for women to speak up or be protected because of shame, tradition, culture and religion. There are many reasons people don't report what happened to him or her or tell anyone and keep it secret. They might be concerned they won't be believed. They have fear of the attacker getting back at them. Embarrassment or shame. Fear of being blamed. Pressure from others not to tell. Distrust of law enforcement. Belief that there's not enough evidence. A desire to protect the attacker, perhaps if it's a partner or close family member. The thing is, perpetrators and abusers, offenders, can continue to abuse because the victims, survivors, rarely report them or speak up. I truly believe that if those of us who can speak up and share finally do so, it would help lessen the shame that other victims feel. The outfit you wore, the way you were needy of love and attention did not make everyone you know abuse you. It made a specific person or people take advantage of you. If you have healed and come to terms with what happened to you, if you know you are safe and it happened in the past, then speaking up on a blog, a post, a podcast anonymously or openly can help others process their pain, as well as your own. It can help other survivors know it's not only them. The impacts of sexual abuse can last for a lifetime, putting survivors at an increased risk of post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, eating disorders and heart disease. When we share our stories... It shows people that it happens to all genders, all abilities, professions and position. It doesn't matter who you are. It's happened to Madonna, Lady Gaga, Terry Crews, Alyssa Milano, Amy Schumer, Brendan Fraser, Viola Davis, Selma Abudayev, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ashley Judd, Jennifer Lawrence, Uma Thurman and so many more. The Me Too movement started on social media in 2006 on MySpace by sexual assault survivor and activist Tarana Burke and became more widespread in 2017 when allegations on Harvey Weinstein began for sexually abusing actresses. Elisa Milano wrote on Twitter that if all women who have been sexually assaulted or harassed wrote hashtag MeToo as a status, we would get a sense of the magnitude of the problem. And so today I want to share my story with you, as well as other people's stories who have been willing to share and speak up. The first time that I was sexually assaulted, I was nine years old. And I've repeated this story to friends and acquaintances when, you know, the subject comes up without any attachment, any emotion in a way. It's as if I'm repeating somebody else's story like it happened to somebody else and little did I know what a lasting effect it had on my behavior or even how I dressed until I started therapy and EFT tapping and coaching and all these things that have really helped me heal from things in the past. So when I was nine I was at a five-star hotel with my mother and my best friend. We were at the swimming pool and my friend and I realised that we could get away from the sun and sit in the shade in the ballroom 
that was adjacent to the pool and had open doors that we could go inside. And we sat underneath a table and we were playing with our notebooks and stickers. It was kind of like the secret club that we both had. And we were approached by a workman that worked in the hotel who came and asked us if we wanted more light, somewhere with more light. Immediately, something in my gut told me that this was not right. Something was dangerous and I didn't like the man. But my friend was a bit more naive and walked behind him and followed. So I stayed with her. I didn't want to leave her alone. And he led us to a big, heavy wooden swing door at the back of the ballroom, pushed us inside, and then we realised that it was a very narrow corridor and we were trapped. Behind us was a wood chopper. And later I found out that the hotel has an area where they fix furniture or make small steps that they may need for an event or a wedding. And the only way out was this heavy door, but he was there. So he grabbed my friend, who was slightly older than me, more developed. I wasn't developed at the time. He grabbed her and started molesting her. I was horrified and I felt I had to save her. So my mind was all about saving her and saving myself, who would probably be next. But I was barefoot and I was nine. How could I hurt this man enough to get out? It was a big risk and I knew if it didn't work, if I hurt him, if I made him angry or mad, we might end up on that woodcutter. Well, I don't know what went through my mind at that age, but that is where trauma begins, is when you're in a moment where fear is so strong and it gets stuck as an energy in your body. And after that, usually you have like a fog. Somehow your subconscious wants to protect you and you no longer really remember details or the event as it was or the fear as it was. And that's why to me it's just been oh, a story that hasn't really affected me. But through therapy, I realized that my poor young nine-year-old self had to make a very scary decision at that point. And I went for it and kicked him, kicked him in the shins, the bony area of the leg. I don't know how a small barefoot was able to hurt the man long enough for me to grab my friend and push that heavy door and run out. I do remember that we went immediately and found somebody outside, management. I, I told my mother um, they found the guy. But after that, it was never mentioned again. Never mentioned by my parents. My friend left the country not long after that. Not because of the incident, but because of her parents' work and we were no longer in contact. And so it was never talked about again as if it had never happened. And lots of parents tend to do this thinking that if they don't talk about it, then perhaps the child won't remember and it will go away. But it's not the healthy thing to do because you start wondering and doubting yourself. Did it really happen? Am I imagining it? Now, the strangest thing is that after I discovered how it had affected my life in many different ways and how I feel about men and my, my fear of them, the way that I dress, I always felt safer in big boots because in my subconscious, they would protect me if I was ever in a situation like that again. When I joined a boys and girls mixed school at the age of 12, I wanted to wear DMs and heavy boots. 
And I didn't have those at the time. So I remember getting some boots from the army and wearing army boots. And any boy that would talk to me or push me around, I would immediately kick him in the same area. I was always kicking boys in that same bony area in the leg. I married a man who wore steel-toed boots, perhaps because I felt safe that I would be protected. All of these things had not crossed my mind. I hadn't realised how it had affected me. And 38 years later, yes, that's telling my age, I decided to go back to that hotel and look at that ballroom that I'd been to so many times again for weddings or events, but not really thought about that incident. But now that I'd thought about it, realised how it affected me, healed from it, I wanted to go back there and see, was my memory of it correct? Was I imagining it? And the ballroom had changed, they had refurbished, but luckily the gentleman that was showing me around knew someone who worked there from that long ago. And they took me down to the basement and they showed me the woodcutter and they explained why they had that there and how indeed they did have these big heavy doors with um, the detail that I explained with brass on them. And so I had my story confirmed to me that little nine-year-old had held on to that trauma and those memories. And so many of us who have had experiences, it's not just one. I had something more horrific at the age of 13, and that came in a different disguise. So you think you're prepared, you know what you're looking for, but it comes in a different way. It came in the form of grooming, in the form of love, me believing that I was also at fault and this was a relationship, but actually I was not giving consent. I was coerced, I was manipulated, and the effect of this and the realisation of this later on in my 40s was something that I had to heal from. Also in work situations, there's been sexual harassment and the way that I've reacted as well sometimes shocks me. In the moment, you don't really know how to react or respond. And then when it passes, you think, well, it passed now. I can't really go back and respond to it later on. And so I would like to play different recordings of different people's stories who've agreed to share. Some of these stories might be triggering, might bring on a flashback and make you remember things that perhaps your subconscious has put away. When I work in a coffee shop, I was desperate to find a place to live and one of the colleagues offered me a one-spare-bedroom. So, of course, I agreed because I didn't have anywhere to go. Uh, everything was fine until one moment when I came back from work, walked to my bedroom, and I saw him laying on my bed completely naked. Uh, I ran away, straight away. It was late night. I ran across the city to actually stay for the rest of the night at my friend's house. I was petrified. I never ever expected him to do what he did. I didn't give him consent to to do that. 
and I don't wish anyone to be in that kind of situation. The worst thing was next day when I had to go back to work and face him. He bought a bunch of flowers and apology, but this meant actually nothing to me because to me what I've experienced had a huge impact on me and like I said, I don't wish anyone to be in the same position. Another time I was walking back home quite late. I could feel that someone is just following me, but I just ignored it. Uh, I thought it's better not to show the person that I'm scared. So um, as I was outside my house and opened the door, he pushed me inside and he actually managed to get inside my house. I have no idea how I managed to kick him outside. So after this incident, I've never reported this to anyone because I just wanted to forget it. I just thought if I start talking about this, this will be on my mind all the time and basically I just wanted to forget. Another time when I was married, uh, people even didn't believe me when I was saying this. Um, it was like on a regular basis, being raped by my husband. I didn't want to talk about this as well because I just thought people will never believe me that my husband is raping me. They will just laugh. And it wasn't like this all the time because, of course, we did have normal relationship from time to time. But when someone doesn't give a consent and someone is just using you, regardless, you don't want to do it, regardless, you are in a pain, you're bleeding, and the person doesn't care, it's, it's not the same. When I was four years old, we went to the neighbor's house, me and my brother, with our nanny. And uh, we went with some of the neighborhood uh, children to visit our neighbor and play in the garden. And while we were there, the, the caretaker, the grounds caretaker, groundskeeper, um, was there. And he offered to take me on his bicycle. And I just remember that it was such a large bicycle. And I always wished that I had one like it. So I was very excited to go on his bicycle. And he told my nanny that he would take me around the house and not to worry about it. So we went from behind the house on his bicycle and he stopped. I don't remember the details. I was only four years old, but I do remember him touching me and he was touching me down there. At the same time, I remember he was touching himself. And I was thinking, I'm very annoyed. I just remember these thoughts of me being very annoyed, very irritated, and I wish he would stop. But I didn't have the language to tell him to stop. At the same time, I knew what he was doing wasn't good. I knew it was something bad, but I wasn't sure because no one had told me that this is something bad. And I think the whole experience must have lasted about maybe five minutes. And I couldn't wait to get away. And when we got closer to my nanny, I just ran to her and I just played and ignored everything that happened. And then when I was about six years old, I had never told anyone about this. When I was six years old, I decided to tell my mother because then I realized as I got older that this was inappropriate. So I had to have a conversation with my mom. And I told her that 
someone had touched me inappropriately. And when I told her who it was, she got very annoyed at me and she dismissed me. And she said, why would you say something like that? Don't be ridiculous. And that was the only time I had ever spoken to my mother about it. Growing up, I realized what he did was wrong. And I wished my mom had believed me. And her not believing me caused a lot of distrust in our relationship. I would like, to, I would say probably some distrust that I didn't think I could go to her with a lot of my issues, that she wouldn't believe me or she would dismiss me or my issues weren't important to her. And so this caused some tension in my relationship with her. Um, I did run into him a couple of years later when I was about 10 years old, 11 years old, after we had moved houses and he was delivering a package from the old neighbor's house. And my parents expected me to go down and say hello to him as if nothing had happened, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. And they saw that I was rude, but I just, I couldn't bring myself to say hello to him. He didn't deserve a hello from me. And that was the last I ever saw or heard from him ever again. And that's my story. So basically, I would like to talk about like the experience of sexual harassment from my teachers uh, in school. And when I say in school, like literally I faced different incidents since um, grade uh, six and grade seven until grade 12, which is the when I graduated from high school. Uh, it took different, uh, the different incidents were you know, and, and it took also different shapes of how how the harassment or the assault happened. But one one thing I always feel about uh, that I'm privileged that my family, or specifically my mom, was encouraging me to speak uh, uh, about uh, sexual assault and sexual harassment if I face it, especially from my teachers. Um, and for that reason, when I saw my mom like talking about it and telling me about, you know, my body and how that not no one's supposed to touch me from certain locations, uh, how I'm comfortable around people and how I should feel like the difference of feeling between me hugging a friend or me hugging someone and I not feel comfortable. It, it was really great great place to 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 start to acknowledge that yes i am not feeling comfortable now sitting in the lap of my teacher or whatever he's doing in in an exercise it did not makes me feel comfortable and um, in in one story i we had a teacher who was uh, like physically uh, harassing not only me but also other students and I remember I was talking to the other students and I told them, like, can we take action? Especially one of uh, one of one of the guys that was really a close friend to me. And um, we were talking about often like what we can do. And then he said to me, no, I can't tell my family. I can't say anything about it. Don't talk about it. Let's act that it, it doesn't happen. Let's act that. Uh, fine it is just a class it happens in this class but let's not talk about it if my family knew they might stop sending me to school if my family knew they might uh, you know uh, annoy me harass me and uh, and already my dad keeps shouting at me because I am 
soft because I am I act uh, uh, more feminine, and I start to understand that yes, um, how we express ourselves as as young boys as as boys who's like twelve years old we're supposed to be there's a pressure on us to act masculine and not acting masculine it we start to build this narrative about okay there is an excuse why people might assault us or harass us and that was with with the teacher we're supposed to be a place of protection for us but it was the the place where we where we where we faced the assault after um, after a few incidents with the same teacher i went and i talked to my mom in fact uh, also my brother uh, in the same school was uh, was also annoyed by it as well so and also my brother was younger than me so he maybe was back then uh, nine years old and when we went and told my mom my mom was completely uh, upset and she went to take the action and she went to school and she stopped that teacher and that teacher was expelled from the school and the action of having the teacher expelled from the school was giving me the power to know that okay if I told my mom then things will be solved later on um, by the age of 14 and 15 the pressure of being a man and act masculine it's even increases more and more the older you get the more you need to act more masculine the more you need to differentiate yourself from women the more you need to act opposite to the opposite sex as they call it so therefore i had to always be more masculine uh, or at least perform more masculine to the society that you know will always give any excuses for people who would harass me or assault me or teachers uh, because of my gender expression or because of how I act masculine or feminine. It does in fact reminds me of how uh, the culture always blame the victim. We often hear about women uh, stories we often hear about how the society blame women because of what time they walk around what uh, uh, what time the incident happened what time they return back home what they were dressing all of these excuses that they give to the uh, to, to, they give to to justify the the assault or sometimes even the rape but for men, to be honest, I never heard anything or anyone talked about it or anyone said, oh, for this reason or that reason. Uh, you never hear these stories on media. It's almost as if never been talked about, as if it's never been, it's, it's never happened. And that is, it, it was really important for me to, 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 to listen to my classmates who face similar issues and to, to, to hear their stories and to hear what the actions they take. And it's all similar actions. They themselves, they give an excuse to, 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 for being very feminine. They say about themselves, oh, I, I should have acted 
more masculine. I should have uh, not wear, worn a short in that trip. I should have not uh, worn this. Like it was always an excuse of 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 we build ourselves to the people who attacks us, and we always blame what we wear and like. So it wasn't really anywhere around where you can have access, and I felt. I was too old to go back to my mom and to tell her again, I'm facing this assault at the age of 15 or at the age of 16 in high school. It, the, 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 like the connection, the things that I've been taught by my mom when I was six years old or eight years old or 10 years old, it's no longer valid because now I am a man. Now I should take the action myself. Now I should uh, you know, do something about it myself because there is this pressure about being a man at the age of 15 and at the same time I wasn't really feeling the same way that I can do anything the only thing I could have think of to do like my other classmates who would be just stay silent, not talk about it, not increase the embarrassment because first one is like you have you, you're already in shame by yourself for that action. And then if you talk about it, then you increase the amount of audience for your shame. And you, you include your family in that shame. You include your community in that shame. Even if you know, like, even if we know that it is not us, that is not, it's, it, it, we are the victim of this, but still we couldn't talk about it. I grew up in a very close community and uh, I was very protective, protected as, as a child. My parents were extremely protective. I could not uh, have much experience with the outward and know, uh, meet different people. And then upon the time I had to, to go to university, I had to move to another country on my own and uh, to start my university education. On the very first year, I remember I went into one of the classes and the teacher had decided to give us a pop-up quiz. During the quiz, he approached me, he sat next to me and while everyone was busy uh, doing the, uh, the quiz, he started uh, whispering inappropriate stuff. Um, and I remember I could smell his breath. It was super gross. I, I couldn't do anything. I just froze in my place. And then uh, I just stood up and left the, the, the class um, with nothing on my paper. A few years after I had a lab work and I couldn't finish on the time during the lab uh, time. So the TA offered me an extension till the next morning saying, I can't go to the lab the next morning and finish the work and submit it on time. So I felt privileged um, that I got that extra time. So the next morning I went early and uh, I got into the lab. He locked the door and he uh, let me start working on, on the project that I had to do. A few minutes after he came and offered to help me he was, he sat very close to me and then he started touching me. And for, for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, I, I can't recall the time actually. I just froze in my place and 
I couldn't believe that that was happening to me. Then I just stood up again and I left the class, I left the lab, went straight to the toilet and I started crying. I blamed myself for it, saying that I brought it to myself because I wanted extra time uh, more than other students to do my project. So I kind of felt it was my fault uh, going there. And this is what I had to, to pay for that extra time. So it even made me feel worse. I never spoke about these two incidents, but um, what I can say that after 16 years, 17 years, I still have issues, um, huge fear of intimacy. I never realized that till a year and a half ago uh, where I started seeing a therapist because Everyone thought that there is something wrong and, and people started questioning that fear of being physically close to anyone. So I started seeing a therapist and I couldn't even open up about those two incidents to my therapist. I told her about the, the kind of feelings that I get if anyone gets closer to me. And she had explained that those could be uh, a result of certain uh, incidents that leaves a scar and I could connect to these two incidents but again I couldn't open up about the experience that I had or how it made me feel. I had um, someone in my life and that person had to be extremely patient for more than 10 months with me before making any approach toward me and still I ruined it eventually because I could not uh, digest the, the idea that anyone would would want to be closer or I would allow anyone voluntarily to do anything to me. You hear more horrific stories uh, of women who went through such experiences. But um, for me, coming from that background and small incidents, small uh, encounters had caused that much damage. So I can't but to think of how it made women who went through more uh, abusive or more aggressive encounters, how it made them feel. One day after work, I came back to eat at a restaurant which is right under my house. I was still dressed in my suit. I just sat there basically um, chatting. There was a guy and his girlfriend. We started to engage in this conversation. And when we got to talking, um, he knew that I had a dog. He asked to see my dog. My dog was in the apartment upstairs, right above the restaurant. And I thought it was strange. Um, I also thought it was strange that his girlfriend didn't want to come up with him to see my dog. So finally, he actually went up. We went to the house and he kissed me. I was shocked. I froze. Um, and afterwards, he started to message me. I did not respond during that process. Um, so when he became infuriated that I wasn't responding, he blackmailed me. Um, he blackmailed me with facts that were untrue, with false facts, and he really tried to ruin my life. And if it wasn't for my friend in court, um, for, my, for my direct connection in court, I would be uh, basically jailed. Uh, a few years ago, in 2016, I was going home, walking from work, uh, and I, in this road, I had to take a cross bridge. 
So while I was on the bridge, I felt that there's there was someone behind me and I decided to pause and let those people pass. But when I paused, I thought this might be a thief. So I waited for him to go down. And once I found someone else to accompany while walking down the bridge, the person went up and once he became next to me, he touched me uh, inappropriately. At that moment, I thought this person can, can be a harmful person. So I turned back to him and I started screaming at him and asking, why did you do that? Why did you touch me uh, inappropriately? So at the same time, he started screaming at me, told me it is against his will and started to hit me with his white bag that he was carrying. So I saw the traffic police witnessing the whole situation from down and they immediately ran and came to me while the guy already ran away. And they asked me in which direction he went. So I told them and in a few minutes, they got him back. And after that, I went to the police station to file a complaint against him. I already did at the police station but I had to wait for the court order for about two months only for the hearing session. I had a call from the court to have the hearing session. While I already was there waiting for my hearing session, another man approaches me and telling me, why do you want to do this to this guy? He's an, uh, a good guy, he never hurts people. So, and apparently he was his employer where he worked in a cafe. So I told that man, if he knew what he did to me before just tipping without knowing the story, he would not even let him work at his workplace. So this man already went back and the judge heard our stories and asked me if I want to go with the uh, court. I told him, yes, I want to, to file this uh, legally. So he said, okay, they took the uh, uh, guy to prison and I waited for around four or five months until I got called back to the court and to witness. During this period before the last and the final court, I was too scared that I could not tell my family what was wrong, why, uh, what happened to me. I was, uh, because the first question they would ask, why, what were you wearing? I did not tell my close family about it. So I told the female members of my family about it. And I had the same question. What were you wearing? So before the final court session, I went to the court wearing hijab because I felt that the judge might also judge me for what I was wearing. Then the judge asked me, what do you want? I basically told him that I want to be safe I don't want anything personal from that man. I did not want money. I did not do anything to, to, to receive any kind of material thing from this man. I just need to be safe. And maybe the safest thing is not to have this person in my country. So I asked an external lawyer after that. And he said, according to uh, the documents and the law, he would be jailed from six months to three years for this uh, felony, but I did not have any information about how much time he actually served. A few months ago, I was texting a guy on a dating app. He was asking me about any available HIV tests 
that could be confidential or free. So I was like, yeah, I am a volunteer with a um, civil society organization here in Amman, and they offered confidential and free HIV tests. So if you're interested, let me know. And he was like, um, is it far away from here? Do I have to go alone or maybe you could join me? I told him that it's not mandatory to have someone with you. But um, if I was able to go with you, I would. But I actually can't. So he kept, he kept on nagging all the time about me going with him. And um, then he offered me... Uh, to like go with him and he will pay for the taxi. I confess I made a mistake that I accepted his offer. Uh, I was not expecting um, anything bad to happen. He lived nearby. Uh, I went to his place and then he told me to come inside. So I sat and I was ready to just take him to the organization and finish everything. Um, he was like, why are you, why are you in a hurry? We're just talking, nothing so bad. I told him that I didn't have enough time. And then he started to like, give me some, um, glimpse that he wanted something from me, but I just told him that I didn't understood. I understood what he wanted, but I acted like I didn't know. And then he was moving around his place and every time he passes by me he used to touch my uh my back my shoulders in a very sexual way and i didn't feel comfortable uh eventually he sat next to me and he tried to grab me i didn't have this ability to like push him away or protect myself in any way. I read a few days ago about a mechanism that the brain uses and it's the freezing mechanism. I was really shocked of this mechanism because it didn't actually help me at all. But at the end, I was able like to tell him that I don't feel comfortable doing this. I don't want to do this and I shouldn't have come to your place. I was like, no, everything's fine. I really like you and I really want you. I told him, no, I just need to go. When I left, I did not feel comfortable with myself or anyone. I had to like sit by myself for a few days. Um, and then um, it came to my mind that I should just tell the therapist that works in that organization that provides the free and confidential HIV test and just tell her everything that happened. She was really helpful and she understood everything. She was very supportive. But um, a few days ago, actually, I was walking in the street around my house and then I saw him. He was literally following me, but I didn't notice. And then he came up to my face and was like, why are you ignoring my messages on the date, that dating app? I was like, I might just call the police or call my parents and you will be in a big trouble since you're not a local person. So just leave. And he just like um, insulted me with some words, but I didn't care. This final story is read by an actress, as the person whose story it is was unable to record. I was just seven or eight years old when this was starting to happen. 
and it went on for years. My father's family used to hang out often at our house. He was ten years older than me, my cousin, and everyone often saw him taking me by the hand to play. I couldn't comprehend it was suspicious since they all let him spend time with me. I was a shy and introverted child, always on my own. He, um, he used to lie, saying he wants to be my friend. He would either take me to my room or demand me to go hide to play or just find me there playing with my dolls or drawing. He started kissing me on my cheek and hands, touching me in so many places. I remember I would uh, freak out, but couldn't tell it was wrong. He would then close the door and just sit on the floor with me, touch me and kiss me. There was no playing anymore. He'd just lie to me saying we're going to play by bringing my dolls to persuade me to go into the room. Until one day he was taking my clothes off and he touched me everywhere, used his lips too. He used his fingers and I remember that I couldn't breathe. I tried my best but I couldn't make a sound. Then when I could I told him to stop, maybe twice, and he ignored me. I then tried to scream and shout but there was loud music that no one could hear me. No one actually paid me any attention the whole time anyway. Once I raised my voice, he got scared. I put my pants, flower t-shirt, overalls and shoes and I ran so fast. I, I ran out to the streets just to wake up and find blood all over me at the hospital. I got into a car accident and stayed in an hours long coma. The accident maybe played the biggest role in the trauma, being kept in my unconscious for years. I know that the human brain does that to protect us. We lived at a different country for long, long years, and I only started getting flashbacks when I was in 10th grade and we were at home for a visit. Later on, a 27-year-old man was chatting with me on Facebook and I used to write poetry, so he was showing me his too. He once wrote me an erotic poem and once I read it, I couldn't breathe. I fainted and the flashback started hitting me even harder. Years ago, my brother and I heard from several people that our cousin was always and still was doing that, that he always liked kids and that he also raped them. He even told my brother and was happy and delighted while saying that he prefers kids. He rarely sleeps with a grown-up. My cousin died after having a heart attack two years ago. I am a highly sensitive person. I could cry at anything, but I didn't shed a tear when I got the news. I was forced to go to his funeral. Everyone was crying and mourning him, while I was just happy and excited. I couldn't even hide my smile. And people thought I just was in shock. When they brought his body in, I had the urge to go and see his pale face just to make sure that he is dead and that I won't be seeing him and getting triggered around him ever again. I started going to therapy years ago and a huge part of my session is trauma treatments because of him partially. I have so many nightmares about it and my room now is the same room he groomed me in as a child. A while before he died, 
A teenager from our family ran crying to my brother and I and told us the same guy harassed her. I got really pissed off and I hoped her family would believe her, but they didn't. They told her it's because of what she was wearing and that he would never do that. For knowing very well he had never changed, I felt so much relief when he died. I grew up feeling insecure. I always felt dirty and unworthy. People hugging me still scares me from time to time. And I can't not imagine the same happening whenever any man is approaching me. I hope that this episode has raised some awareness as to how much sexual abuse and sexual harassment happens to so many people at so many different stages of their lives in so many different ways. I send love and healing to all of you who have been through this and to those who have not. May you raise your voice with us so that this can stop. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniacurdy.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today or find out how I can support you on your journey.